The X-Men 16th anniversary panel just happened, and we're going to dive into everything that happened there. Shout out to the Powers of X-Men podcast, Dayspring and Flinkman. What's up, Familia? Dayspring here to talk about the X-Men 60th anniversary panel and all the news that was sort of unraveled in there. Spoiler alert, there wasn't much that was sort of given out. And I'm kind of disappointed by that. I was like, why are we doing this retrospective on the X-Men and you're going to include the comic book X-Men and you're going to include the Lee Walds as well as Larry Houston, as well as Bo DeMaio, and not really reveal much on X-Men 97. And by reveal much, I mean a trailer. Why didn't we get a trailer for X-Men 97? This would have been prime opportunity for a trailer for X-Men 97. And it makes me wonder that if they were going to go through the X-Men, through their different incarnations, right? You have the comic book, you're going to do the animated series. Why didn't they do the movies? I Listen, you have Deadpool 3 on the horizon with Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds. So I would have had Ryan and Hugh on the stream. Did they try to get them? Maybe they did. But I can't imagine that Ryan and Hugh are too busy right now not to promote Deadpool 3. Given how much social media push they've given for it, I think appeasing to the X-Fans directly for a 60th anniversary of the IP would be something they would make time for, or at least be able to pre-record, given that we know this is weeks, this has been weeks scheduled in advance. So that means behind the scenes, they've had a lot more lead time with it. So I am kind of curious why they just bypassed the movies when when, when they're such a large part of the history or they couldn't get some of the other characters to, you know, some of the actors who played some of the other characters like to appear. It just it was kind of weird to me. So, you know, I was expecting some something more for X-Men 97. We did get some plot points, and we'll dis- dissect those plot points right now. But, you know, we didn't get really much in terms of the future of the X-Men in the comic books. I mean, we got some teases from Jordan D. White and X-Men associate editor Lauren Amaro. But, you know, it was all kind of like vague stuff. And one has to wonder, why did we spend two and a half hours on this Zoom without getting something really substantial? I worry that, you know... Disney slash Marvel has been really good at delivering a message, but I don't think they've been great at delivering fan expectations. And again, we were on this for two and a half hours and we got a couple covers. We got a first look at the Hellfire Gala. We got some looks at the X-Men 16th anniversary covers. We we called it here, right? We have David Nakayama. We have Dan Wiesenmeyer who are doing covers. We have a Larry Houston cover there. We're really excited for it. But, you know, in terms of like, where was that trailer? (laughs) Where was that trailer for X-Men 97? And I know I'm harping on that, but I really think that if you wanted to bring eyes onto this event, you should have done an X-Men 97 trailer, especially since it's supposed to debut this fall. And I, I know we're at the end of winter, early spring here, but in six, seven months, it's going to be fall, and it's time to start promoting, start to build the hype for X-Men 97. But that being said, though, let's dissect everything that will happen on the Zoom. 
It kicked off with Agent M. We love Agent M. Ryan is absolutely wonderful. We have ties with him because we used to work at Wizard and Marvel. And Ryan was sort of some of the first people we met there. He was the first person I talked to about Wizard. After I got my internship at Wizard, I went down to his cubicle and I talked to him. We've had him on the podcast before. Please check out that episode. We love seeing Ryan so incredibly much. And I was DMing with him in between in between scenes or, I don't know, like segments in 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 the panel and he was like oh just wait till till the end for this hickman and morrison interview and it's because they talked about beast and he knows how much we hate beast so i appreciate that so much but you know the the interviews with agent m kicked off with chris claremont louise and walter simonson and listen Walter Simonson was talking about how Gene's death sort of brought X-Men into a higher stratosphere. And we know this to be true. We know the death of Gene Gray, the death of Gwen Stacy, sort of those big highbrow events, really catapulted comic books from just something ha 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 that you read. And it's for kids to really well thought out, thought provoking pieces. Louise Simonson said that she would absolutely want to meet up with Jean, depending on where she is in her character history and what she's going through. Very, very astute, Louise. But, you know, I, I, the, 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 the part of talking about X-Men crossovers with Chris Claremont was so fucking funny because Chris Claremont was like basically like, yeah, we did a crossover once and I regret it because it took away everything that made the X-Men special. And you could tell that was completely unscripted and it sucked the air out of the Zoom and everyone was like, uh, Claremont, where are you going with this? It was hysterical. Claremont continues to be the salty grandfather of X-Men. I appreciate it. I know what he's saying with that. We've talked about this before on the podcast. We've talked about it certainly in the past with friends, which is you do these big X-Men crossover events, something like, let's say, AVX. That's the first thing that's coming to my mind. And you were telling this really great thought-provoking story, which was Messiah Complex. And then all of a sudden, oh, it needs to be a company-wide crossover event. And characters are going to act out of character. And we're going to ignore everything that happened before because this is a jump on point for new readers. And it really does fuck with what make the X-Men special. Again, I think Messiah Complex is emblematic of that. Messiah Complex was a wonderful story that was so well received by fans. And then it ends with AVX. And AVX is garbage. I think it has aged well in terms of the property. People want to see that on the MCU. People are excited to see that tension between the X-Men and the Avengers. But the actual writing of the crossover is not good at all. So Chris Claremont, shout out to you. Next, we got Agent M interviewing Rob Liefeld and Mark Silvestri. And I got to tell you, I love these two. Their art is so defining for me. I'm shocked we didn't get Jim Lee. I thought Jim Lee would have been a a special guest on the podcast, or excuse me, a special guest on the live stream, but he wasn't. He he wasn't there because Jim Lee really did set that bar for X-Men issue one. No matter which way you put it, he was the one that set the bar there. But regardless, Rob Liefeld was there. He talked about his time on X-Force, how his favorite cover is the Days of Future Past cover with kitty and old man logan or you know the og old man logan logan with like the silver sides and i just it took me back to a time in comics that i myself have forgotten about especially since i've been podcasting and reporting on the x-men but 
You used to go to the comic book store and be genuinely surprised by what you saw. And this is something that happened up until like, I want to say 2010. I will say Avengers versus X-Men was a turning point because I remember Avengers versus X-Men going to a midnight comic book store and picking up that first issue. But it was also available simultaneously online at Comixology. And that's when news of comic book events and stuff like that, people started to pay attention to what was being put out there. You weren't genuinely surprised anymore. And I remember being... A young kid walking into the comic book store and just being surprised by the wedding of Cyclops and Phoenix, being surprised by Age of Apocalypse. I didn't know Age of Apocalypse was a thing until I saw it on the spinner rack at Jerry's on Sanibel Island. I was like, oh, my God. And we're talking this is like months into Age of Apocalypse. So, you know, when he talks about going to the comic book store and picking up that issue of Days of Future Past and what it means to him seeing that cover and being so intrigued by it, that is why we are comic book fans, because they incite that curiosity. And, you know, Mark Silvestri, I'm always going to be a fan of Mark Silvestri. Here Comes Tomorrow is one of my favorite X-Men stories ever. He did that with Grant Morrison and their swan song to new X-Men. I love, 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 love here Comes Tomorrow, and I love his 80s Outback era X-Men and everything he did. He he is a wonderful artist, and he talked about how Cyclops versus Master Bowl from, I believe that's X-Factor issue 14, don't quote me on that, was his favorite to, you know, one of his favorite covers, and also how Inferno was his favorite crossover to do, and how when people bring him copies of Inferno at Comic-Cons to sign it, Gives him a little heart because he can do dark. He was able to do dark versions of Wolverine and dark versions of Havoc. He kind of stumbled there when he said dark versions of Havoc because mm, Havoc wasn't really. I mean, he was a dark version, but he was a goblin prince and he was a little skimpy in there. But next up were the Lee Waltz, Larry Houston and Bo to the Mayo. And let me tell you something. These four humans, Eric Lee Walt, Julia Lee Walt, Larry Houston, Bo to the Mayo. Oh my God, they're just magic. They're magic. It's seeing them is absolutely magic. And they are aware that this X-Men series, this anime series, is a fan favorite. It's the reason why so many of us endure our love for the X-Men. Bo, in particular, talked about growing up in Florida. Shout out Florida. And and being perceived as different. And how that was the DNA of X-Men and how the show saved his life. And Larry Houston was talking about how well, he was working on Pride of the X-Men and how he knew he had the right recipe here. But the cook, which was you know the network at the time, just didn't understand what a mutant was and was trying to define all these things and didn't let them be fans. So we did get some tea, though, on X-Men 97, and it picks up a few months after the events of the original X-Men animated series. We knew this. We knew this. That, that has been largely reported on. But the one thing that we didn't know is that things are looking up for mutants. Following everything that happened with Xavier and going off in space, the public has sort of turned its tide and they're being sympathetic to mutants. And the X-Men now are like, wow, we're achieving this level of equality. What does the future hold for us? And the X-Men have recruited Morph and Bishop full-time. On the X-Men. And we called that Bishop was probably going to be a full-time X-Men. We posted that video earlier today. I think we're going to see Bishop in the opening credits. I am curious how Bishop ends up there. Because at the end of Beyond Good and Evil, Bishop was supposed to be stranded there with Shard. That's not what happens in the series finale. Obviously, the proper series finale. So let's see where that where that unfolds. Morph, we know, is going to be non-binary. And we know they were there at the 
end of the X-Men series. So let's see where they go with that. But one of the things that was really interesting, and we, we call it kind of some, something like this, that Gene, Gambit, and Rogue are beginning to question their lives. And if they've been fighting for this mutant equality, maybe it's time for them to move on and live their lives. I'm telling you, what is the organic choice for Cyclops and Gene? I think Cyclops and Gene want to start a family. If you're asking me, maybe Rogue and Gambit want to be a couple. Now, previously, I did say I think Rogue was going to end up with Magneto and Gambit will have ties to the Marauders. I'd be curious if Rogue and Gambit try to live a normal life, but they're like, whoops, maybe maybe this relationship isn't what we thought it was outside of the mansion. But let's see where it goes. I'm very intrigued by seeing Gene, Rogue, and Gambit trying to live normal lives. I think that character characterization jives for gene rogue and maybe cyclops but i think gambit will always be the ultimate fuck boy who wants to be part of the team part of that high drama going out on adventures so i'm not 100 sold on that for gambit and i think that's what's going to cause tension there but bo also let it lose let it be known excuse me that someone shows up who is Mr. Sinister, who wants to make their life a living hell. So there are two stories I'm going to say that they can do. So the focus is going to be Sinister. And I know I skimmed past Sinister in the previous video, but here, here are two things I want to say about, about what stories they can do for Sinister. One, if we're looking at the 80s with like Magneto in that green, green, excuse me, purple costume, they're going to do Inferno. Inferno is going to be that story because Sinister is such a focal point for Inferno. Or two, they're going to do Executioner Song. And why? Because the legacy virus. And that would tie into a subplot for Colossus. It would tie in for a subplot for Beast and so many other characters. And if someone is coming in to change the tide for mutant acceptance, what what is something that will set people back in terms of equality? You scare them with something like the legacy virus or unleashing the inferno in new york right so those are two really big things the legacy virus you do strife and sinister or you do inferno which would be sinister and maddie i am 100 in on both of these plots my only question is how are they going to handle sinister are they going to give us flamboyant eccentric modern sinister or will we stay in sort of a continuity with creepy geneticist sinister so then we had Morrison and Hickman join the panel with Agent M. Morrison did a Cyclops dance, which was absolutely wonderful. They also spoke about Emma Frost and how they wrote Emma Frost. And Emma Frost is the breakout star of New X-Men. I don't care what anyone says. Morrison's Emma is the – we have Emma today because of Morrison's Emma – Point blank. And Hickman even acknowledged how much he loves Emma and writing Emma. There was a whole Emma love fest and Emma deserves it 100% because both those writers have written really well, Emma, really well done Emma's. And I am just so, I was just so elated to see Hickman and Morrison there together with Agent M. Those three, I mean, like, Agent M has to be the luckiest person on the face of the earth right now. <laughs> but there wasn't much to, to, to sort of be had from those conversations. I was thinking, again, I was DMing with, with Agent M because that part was pre-recorded because Morrison couldn't really make it for the live stream at that time. So they pre-recorded that. So I was DMing with Agent M and Agent M was like, just wait till the end of this interview. And I was like, oh my 
fucking God. They're going to announce Morrison and Hickman are going to do a title or something like that. They're going to be the creative team for Fall of X. No, it's like, yeah, whatever. And no, it was a it was a conversation about Hank McCoy and Beast and how he probably has the biggest heart of, of everyone out there. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, Beast is a fucking sociopathic, you know, a horrible human being and Morrison kind of acknowledged that Hickman had a better had a better understanding uh, of the character's heart than I ever would but it was really fun it was cute I was really really happy to see both of them you know being interviewed by Agent M and then finally we ended with Jordan and Lauren from the X office and they were talking about Fall of X and we didn't get that much details on Fall of X, only that the status quo is going to be changed and things are going to be darker for the X-Men. They, they mentioned this fine. I will acknowledge that I did see the announcement of this title, Heralds of Apocalypse. I, I did see that. I did not think that was a proper tease for the return of Apocalypse. It makes sense. Trust me, now that I'm saying it out loud, it makes absolute perfect sense. But I... I did not think Apocalypse was returning anytime soon. So, you know, I'm really excited for that. We we got the announcement that D2E2 at San Diego Comic-Con is going to do an IRL Hellfire Gala. That is going to be really interesting. Listen, we're doing the Hellfire Gala walk with Michelle Waffo-Dedo and Jordan over at WonderCon in next week. I was going to say in a couple of weeks, but next week. But they were the OGs. But they also said that Kate Pride, Iceman, and Sunspot are going to have really big stories in the Krakone Age. Jordan D.Y. or excuse me, the Fall of X Age. Fall of X era. Sorry. But Kate Pride, you know, this is a question mark. Is it good that she's going to be spotlight or, or spotlit or, or should we be concerned? I have gone into on the Hellfire Club this year. I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, I don't know if anyone wants to really be there <laughs> and i we called it here we said it was gonna we, we said it was gonna string into fall of x so we also understand that uncanny avengers on free comic book day is going to be a flash forward to the hellfire gala and that previously cyclops wore the captain krakoa outfit and we'll have someone new to be captain krakoa you know the uncanny avengers is going to have rogue pendant psylocke quicksilver and captain america Obviously, um, Captain Krakoa as well. Let's see who Captain Krakoa turns out to be. Tell me your guesses there. But overall, kind of disappointed in the live stream. You know, we we stayed up till, you know, well, we didn't stay up. It's 9.45, but I could have gone out. I, I did cancel plans tonight. And this is something I could have just seen some quick recaps of. But the covers are looking good. We called the covers. I'm sorry to say that there was no X-Men 97 trailer. Did not see that there was going to be a D2E2 Hellfire Gala, IRL at San Diego Comic-Con. I've kind of been toying with not wanting to go to San Diego Comic-Con because I have so many cons coming up this year. But, you know, maybe maybe we'll pop in just for that. And, you know, it was worth it to see Hickman and Morrison together again. I don't know why we didn't get some, you know, a, a segment for the movies if the X-Men animated series was just supposed to be there as part of the larger history of the X-Men. It just seemed kind of weird that now that Disney owns Fox that they wouldn't and they have Deadpool 3 coming out that they wouldn't have had some movie people there or whoever they could have gotten there. But, you know, one of the things that I did think was interesting was that Bo did talk about how when he got the call for X-Men 
97. He had to pitch it to Kevin Feige after two weeks of going into the California desert and writing it. So we know Kevin Feige is going to have his some, somewhat of a stamp on X-Men 97. So let's hope it delivers. Anyways, that's it, Familia. So excited for everything to happen. We'll probably jump on a live stream right now. And folks, we're excited for the future of X-Men.